<sighs> I am enough. I'm good enough. I'm likable enough. I don't need to perform or pretend or try to be a better, more interesting person. Who I am is good enough. Whew. Okay. Hi. Hello. How are you? It is almost... Gosh. I guess today is pretty much the exact middle of December, which is so crazy because Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet, so... The whole year to me seemed like pretty normal, but this month really, it really got away from me. I don't know uh, what holidays you celebrate, but um, my parents and sister celebrate Christmas, and I guess I kind of do. I don't, like, I don't not celebrate it. I'm happy to go along with it. I enjoy Yule more, but it's, you know, it's all whatever. I need to finish up Christmas shopping, guys, because I... I'm usually, like, really on top of that, and I am not on top of it right now. So, if you're in the same boat, listen, we can do it. We can do it. We can knock it out. Let's go. Let's get them. Anyway, today, uh, what I wanted to talk about actually came because earlier this week, I got some notification from LinkedIn. You know how thirsty LinkedIn is. On the feed, I saw this post from this dude I knew in college and he's now the vice president of a fancy pants bank. Um, the whole, the whole bank. So it's a really big deal and he's really excited and, and that's awesome. I sat there for a minute and was just thinking about how exciting that must be for him and wondering how much money he makes and what that's like. Like, how much do his socks cost, you know, or where do they go out to eat? And he and I also have really similar degrees from the same college. We were both in the same program within the same college. And so I started drawing lines between the two of us and wondering about the choices that he made that led to this career move. And then, of course, I began to feel that sinking feeling in my ribs when I've when I'm looking at my reflection in an image that I've constructed, otherwise known as comparison. So anyway, I wrote some pros and cons of comparison, which is a little meta. Pros, it allows analysis and critique. It allows intelligent, multifaceted conversation from um, multiple viewpoints or the strengths and weaknesses of different components. It can possibly be motivating sometimes. It can be an example of what is possible. So almost an encouragement in that way. And it can also possibly lead to gratitude for what I have or what you have. And the cons, assumption-based reasoning and conclusions, which is pretty much without value tending to trigger insecurities and limiting beliefs. The two things being compared are rarely being compared in a useful way. It's pretty subjective comparison based on anecdotes a lot of the time. Like the socks thing, right? Like completely subjective, anecdotal, made-up, assumption, thinking, and then my socks versus his socks, right? It's just not... Uh, 
good use of my mental energy, which is actually the next one. It eats up a lot of emotional energy. It's ego fuel. And lastly, and also very importantly, it flattens both of the things being compared into two dimensions. So I kind of sat with it for a second. What am I really asking myself? Why is he doing so much better than me? But also, is he doing so much better than me? Or is it possible that we're both doing well and our income is a separate thing from the doing well? I'm also asking, is there some innate flaw in me that makes me unworthy of a job or position in society that invokes a sense of respect just from the get-go? I'm also asking... Would I rather be a banker? And I'm actually not going to answer these questions. Just ask them out loud. And letting my heart speak to me about it. And if they bring up anything for you, maybe instead of answering, just, just sit with it for a second. I am super glad for him and I really hope he and his loved ones went out for an amazing meal to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, I really hope they had a good time. Eckhart Tolle has a lot of things to say about the ego. He borrows heavily from Buddhism. There's, you know, there's a lot of white dudes borrowing things from other religions and cultures. And um, a lot of times that's uh, not worth reading. You could just hear from the actual, the actual people whose story that is. That would be, you know, generally much better. Yeah, he borrows a lot from Buddhism, but I think he also has his own take on it in some aspects. So in this specific case, I really enjoyed his book. I thought it was really worth reading, a really provocative and in inner dialogue kind of way. A good summary might be seeing comparison as the ego speaking to itself. And we can either get involved in that conversation and shrink ourselves down to that level, or we can observe the conversation and remember that we are not our thoughts. We are the consciousness creating thought. I find a lot of Buddhist writings and what I've read of Eckhart Tolle to be really wise and to feel true. And it's also very practical which I love. Mindfulness is not a multi-step virtue progression <laughs> or anything. It exists right now. It exists in this exact moment. And that is the only place that it exists. It's not possible to work towards it. Like, working towards being mindful one day is kind of a laughable thought. We are mindful right now or maybe we weren't, but the moment is still here. So we can choose to be mindful now. And every time our consciousness is aware of the present, we can choose to be mindful. There's no earning it or getting there one day or getting good enough at it. That's kind of um, not really in the spirit of, of what mindfulness is. Because there is no one day or past day or working towards there is only right now so you are constantly in a fresh slate to choose to be mindful and that's all that there is 
I love the practicality of that and I love leaving out one day or could be or should I or did I do enough you know leaving out all of the future tense and all of the past tense and all of the narratives that go into it and just actually realizing that right now is right now and it is literally the only thing that's fucking happening so um anyway <laughs> so I'm sure I had a point I'm, I'm sure I had a point and that we got there in some kind of way but I got so excited talking about mindfulness I don't actually completely remember <laughs> so um I got to thinking about comparison historically so I mean obviously differenti differentiating good plant versus plant that made gurog die right but that's not the type of comparison I'm talking about I'm talking about this much more human kind of comparison like this emotional value centric comparison and so i did some vague googling but most of what i found was early childhood psych articles which really isn't what i'm have in mind yeah i couldn't find resources on this topic one way or the other so i just kind of did some thinking on my own so i could be completely wrong obviously Nothing I'm about to say uh, has, like, scientific sources. This is just me thinking. Um, <laughs> and just kind of thinking about it and thinking through it. And I think it probably began with the fate of our late friend Gurog. And also comparing different sexual mates, deciding what were the best options in terms of survival of the fittest. And presumably as our sort of consciousness or, or whatever the right word would be, but as that grew and we became cognizant of rejection, I think this sense of social comparison came into play. So not so much Gurag 2 is strong and we will make good babies, but more of Gurag 2 comparing himself to the other men and taking mental notes of their worth in comparison to his worth which is a very different kind of comparison, and it also shows a lot of self-awareness. So it's just kind of interesting to think about the social dynamics. So, moving beyond an evolutionary transaction and moving into a sense of self-worth allows emotions, dreams, rejection, disappointment, longing, and comparison. So if there's any truth to anything that I'm saying, it seems to me that comparison was very important because it came in a boat of other very important experiences that are still central to our lives and the way that we operate with other humans and with ourselves. And the thing is also that I want those things. Like, I want longing. I want to dream. I want to feel and to seek and, I, and to a certain degree, I want to experience loss because that means that I was brave enough to make myself vulnerable, you know, like I was brave enough to, to really want something. So, <laughs> comparison. Hi, hello, how are you? I've never said this before, but I am grateful for you. <laughs> So there's a lot to be said about comparison in relation to creativity and the creative process. 
And I've watched a bunch of TED Talks about it, and I'm honestly not going to paraphrase it or really get into that in the traditional way. Because it would really just be better to listen to the person who was asked to do a TED Talk. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. But it's a very important dynamic for us creatives. And I know that comparison has been deadly to my creative life at points. So I am going to talk about that, those two things like together, but not in the traditional way. And if you're interested in hearing more about comparing your art to other people's art, there's so many great sources on it is all I'm saying. Yeah. Comparing and contrasting in an art critique, fantastic. Not what I'm talking about. I'm thinking of the yawning maw inside of me that breathes and aches and needs to be filled. It's in all of us, although you might use different words to describe it, but to a certain extent we all have an emptiness, a place of wounding, a hole that needs more than anything to be filled with a sense of self-worth. And if self-worth is thin on the ground, then you better start grabbing whatever the fuck you can because this aching oblivion must be fed. People use substances. I use food sometimes. Content, TV, books, social events, work, a schedule so busy we don't have time to feel the need inside of us. Sex, other forms of pleasure, religion, God. This empty need can be filled in, in a lot of different ways, you know, including therapy, God, developing an actual sense of self-worth. Sometimes it's just an overwhelming need to sink our teeth into a feeling strong and tangible and definitely positively there. And that flares up even if it's not a consistent issue for that person. And, and I think we all know what I'm talking about, even if you might describe it a little bit differently. How does this connect to art? <laughs> it didn't used to. For most of my life, my certainty and self-validation was bulletproof. I was proud of what I made, and I wasn't really interested in anyone else's feedback. And that was that. I was happy to learn and train and study techniques, but in terms of feeling any sort of depletion in my self-worth of not being a good enough artist, I, I did not feel that. But as I've grown through my adult life, I've experienced some hard and humbling things. And my desire to be seen a certain way has grown stronger. Hang on, I need to drink some water. I'm not just overcome with emotion. So, I mean, to be real with you, living off of a service industry budget for years has included going hungry more times than, you know, I'd like, or going without. And that's okay, like, I'm fine, and overall I've been very blessed, but there's been enough times where things have been just hard that I found a new part of myself. Um, this part of myself that feels a lot of shame 
and does not want to be seen as in need at all, ever. Like, like if I'm hungry, I don't want you to fucking know about it. Or if I could use a hand, like, I'm not, that's not something that I'm going to talk about. I want to be seen as successful and doing just as well as anybody else. To my detriment sometimes. I mean, here's the thing, like, there's literally no shame in living within your means, and there's no shame in being poor. And even though I know that, I am still ashamed of my financial situation, especially how precarious and stressful that part of my life is. Even if that means, like, going out for drinks or going out for meals with friends or whatever, when that's really not a wise choice for me. But I just, I'm too embarrassed to say that. So anyway, so that's this, like, um, area of insecurity that has kind of developed more recently in my adult life. And anyway, the money part is one example, but that is significant. And having this area of my life where that deep need for self-worth that we were talking about, as it's grown, like it's put more and more pressure on my creative process. Because painting, drawing, music, whatever, were things that I was unassailably valuable in. So it wasn't a place I struggled with pressure or self-judgment or comparison to other artists at all. But as my need to be seen as enough has grown, I've increasingly pressured myself to also be good enough in creative ways too. And it's really squashed my art making sometimes, but honestly only for short periods. Like Creativity is a really, really forgiving thing. And I hear artists say all the time, you know, like, oh, I've lost it, blah, 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 blah. And it, like, if you need to hear it, babe, that's not a thing. <laughs> I mean, art is a skill and it takes practice. So sometimes we're a little bit out of practice in order to like feel as comfortable with a technique that we did before. That's okay. That doesn't mean that you're no longer an artist or that creativity is gone and or there's this huge gulf between you and what you think you're capable of or were at one point. Like, it's cool. I, a complete stranger, speaking to a microphone on my bedroom floor, am reassuring you <laughs> with all the authority vested in me. That, like, like, but in all seriousness, like, it's literally fine. It, it didn't go anywhere. It's still right inside you. And maybe the only thing that is lacking is your relationship to it. Because maybe you haven't spent much time or energy on that relationship. And so you feel strained or distant. But if you invest energy in your in your creativity, then you'll be grand. You'll be back to normal, just like any other really strong, solid relationship. So anyway, just a side note there. Anyway, so I think that's an interesting example of comparison overall affecting creativity because it was a form of comparison that affects my art and my artistic process and my life as an artist, even though it's not about comparing my art to other art which is often what this conversation is about. But if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because what is our creative life if not a place to be free, to try, to make mistakes, to express, to be passionate, or funny, or serious, or wrong? To not censor and just create and then 
later on decide if you're satisfied with it. But if you're beginning, like I am sometimes, with this attitude of like, this will be good, damn it, then like, <laughs> what the fuck do you do with that as an artist? It, like you can't play, you can't make mistakes, there's too much at stake. So I don't have all the answers on this or how to fix this, but there are a few things that I find helpful that I wanted to share. Firstly, I listen to my spirit. So when I can't create, I tell myself that that's okay. I can put this down and I can go be creative in another way. Which can be emotional. For the past year, probably, I haven't drawn or painted barely at all, which is an enormous change from the previous 20 plus years where I spent almost all my time doing those things. So it was kind of emotional to give myself permission to not do it, but there's no reason to force force it, you know? There's no reason at all to do that. There's so many ways to be creative and I've been practicing giving myself permission to be creative in other ways. If my spirit doesn't want to do it this way, it doesn't feel good or right or like aligned, it's not flowing, that's fine. So like even though I haven't been painting, I've been writing a ton and I've danced and I've gardened and I've done other things that have still allowed me to live as an artist and to feel connected with myself in different mediums. Another thing is I do like to watch TED Talks or read on this topic, but I also really love books on mindfulness being present, breathing through emotion, and self-compassion, because, like, each of those topics is extremely fucking valuable all the time, but it, but especially self-compassion with yourself and your process for, um, for any artist, I guess, but especially a long-term artist, because this is, like, fucking inevitable. I'm constantly bringing things into my life that I find inspiring books, like I just mentioned, but also artsy movies, creative outfits. I also like really enjoy Pinterest. It's probably my main resource in this. I have different boards for different kinds of inspiration, some specifically about art and artists whose work I find really exciting, but also other types of things that pique interest inside of me. So drag queens, you know, ways of using outfit and makeup in this like really creative way. Physical autonomy through tattoos or exercise coming from a place of wanting to treat myself with respect as opposed to like wanting to look a certain way. Performance artists. I have a board called Oshun Energy which is pretty cool and I also have like other just bizarre vibes that I find really exciting and when I look at them it just makes my mind buzz, you know? This more than anything else has helped heal the divide in my heart when I'm struggling with these feelings because seeing cool, amazing stuff wakes up my creativity and I'm inspired to make things, do things, try things, and before I know it, I'm already making something without realizing that I forgot to put a bunch of pressure on myself <laughs> beforehand. And, and I also actually do this on Spotify, so sometimes if I'm listening to a podcast and it really strikes a chord, I save it to a playlist that I have just for this, especially in, insightful or especially healing, and that way I can listen to it again and next time that I'm struggling with something applicable to it. 
Like, there's this episode of Ologies with Allie Ward about mythology, and I just highly, highly recommend it. I don't want to go on a whole rabbit trail. The way he approaches narrative is just fantastic. So the last thing I have is that I go outside. I cannot overvalue this enough. You need vitamin D. Don't be a little bitch boy about it, okay? Just fucking go outside, please. I love you. So um, I'm going to go outside myself here soon. I might take Avery on a hike. That might be nice. But honestly, nature, nature's all you need to refresh your spirit. It's all you fucking need. If you would like to, um, I would love you to follow me on Instagram. It's gumarart, G-U-I-O-M-A-R-D dot art. I post my work there, uh, my poetry. Uh, it'd be really fun to connect. I'm also on Patreon as Gemma Gumar. You could subscribe to the podcast if you want, rate, review, all these things that people say. <laughs> It'd be really fucking cool if you wanted to do any of those things. Yeah. And for our sign up today, I'd like to read you two of my own poems. <clears throat> Just kind of share those with you. I can see him looking at me over his shoulder, the light in his eyes gone out, his sweet lips pushed together, holding back. He had this green shirt, and when he wore it, his eyes were striking. He had these hideous blue boxers, super baggy and stretchy and weird. God, I hated those. But he'd wear them to bed anyway, laughing. The light in his eyes gone out. And the second one. When grief built in my chest, I said goodbye through a crane. It rested on the water and disintegrated. So thank you. I'll see you again in a couple weeks. Bye.